It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate you all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, folks, that time of week, herd mentality, tons of good stuff to get into. You guys ask great questions. That's what I'll say. That's what I love about doing this episode is the questions you ask often prompt me to some interesting ideas and thinking about things that I probably haven't. And it helps me really shape my my perspective of this team and really, really enjoy it. So thanks for everyone who participates. First one here comes from James, and James says, with Trey White done for the year, who are the cornerbacks that are good in zone defensive schemes that could potentially be available and add depth? So let's have the Trey White conversation, right? I briefly mentioned it yesterday on the podcast, but Trey White, torn Achilles out for the season. It sucks a lot, right? You hate it for Trey. As a person, you know how hard he worked to get back from that ACL tear took longer than expected. We knew there were some mental hurdles that he had to overcome and felt like he was rounding into form. And the next thing you know, doesn't make it out of week four without a season-ending injury. Now, we'll talk to Dr. Kyle Trimble uh, later in the week about the recovery process and likely outcomes for Trey White and what it means for his career. But he's 28 years old right now, and what you hate is that it feels like three of his prime years are going to be lost to injury this year. Last year, he was gone for half the season. And then, of course, he got injured the year before. So three seasons where it's just like you're expecting him to be a premier shutdown corner and he hasn't been available. And so unfortunately, but fortunately, the Bills have gotten used to operating without Trey White over the last two seasons. And they're going to have to do it again this year. In-house, you still have three starting caliber outside cornerbacks with Christian Benford, Dane Jackson, and Kyer Elam. And I know that there's a lot of love out there and hope that Kyer Elam is going to start. I don't think he's going to. I think it's going to be Christian Benford and Dane Jackson. Trey White getting injured doesn't take Kyer Elam from CB4 to CB2. Everybody just moves up one step. And so I expect your starting corners to be Dane Jackson and Christian Benford, Kyrie Elam as the primary backup, and now he'll be a game-day active player. He'll have a role on special teams, and he's one snap away from having his opportunity. So the reality is you'd love to have Trey White, but you still have three starting caliber players. You could sustain two more injuries and be okay. Now, it can happen fast. We saw Benford get injured against the Dolphins, and then, of course, Trey White. Benford was able to come back and finish the game. but. Positions where you feel like you have depth, it can it could flip upside down real, real quick. 
And so I wanted to point out the in-house options. I do expect it to be Benford and Jackson with Elam as CB3. On your practice squad, you've got a couple of likable players. Kyron Brown, who's been a rostered NFL player before, and Jamarcus Ingram, who's a guy that I'm pretty intrigued with. I've really enjoyed watching him in the preseason the last couple of years. And I think there's a chance he's elevated to the active roster. In fact, I would expect one of those two players to be elevated at some point this week as the Bills are navigating through some roster decisions. Obviously, Von Miller coming off the pup list, potentially, right? He's going to practice on Wednesday. We'll see if he's ready to go for Sunday. Um, could be other injuries that we get on Wednesday uh, that would influence these decisions, but there's going to be roster moves. And of course, we'll talk about them when they happen. But I think the immediate plan is Jackson, Benford, Elam, you promote one of those guys from the practice squad. Now, I know everyone's always interested in the outside options. And the most interesting outside option idea that I've seen floated around is trading for Levi Wallace. You guys know Levi Wallace, obviously um, had a nice start to his career with Buffalo, has spent the last year and now this year in Pittsburgh. And I feel like potentially he could be available. They just drafted Joey Porter Jr., fairly high in the draft. And uh, I mean, maybe Pittsburgh's not going to be that good this year. They certainly look like they're going to have some struggles and they could free Levi Wallace, perhaps mid to late day three pick should probably get them back on your team. When it comes to free agent options, folks, it's October. Great corners aren't just sitting around waiting to be signed in October. Now, the names, as I look through the available free agents, the names that stood out to me are Bradley Roby, who's been more of a slot player, but he'd be interesting. Casey Hayward, who's been a good corner in the league, but he's 33. Kyle Fuller, that name intrigues me a little bit. P.J. Williams, Bryce Callahan, Terrence Mitchell, Sidney Jones. I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be the guys the Bills already have, and one of those practice squad players gets elevated, and then they probably sign somebody to join the practice squad. That's what I think will happen. Next one here comes from Tim. Tim says, it feels like our defense this year has an attitude of we will make good things happen rather than let them come to us. Is there a way to compare our defense making better, smarter, and more aggressive plays that result in turnovers attributable to our defensive play versus just capitalizing on mistakes that other teams' offenses make? Yeah, I don't know how to present data to you that would prove what you're saying is right, but I can tell you what you're saying is right. I've studied the tape. I know what this team is doing. I know what they've done. And this is a well-coached, well-coordinated defense. Guys are hunting the football. They're playing fast. They're playing physical. They're playing confident. They're playing with great effort. I mean, you're seeing population to the ball consistently. And the Bills are out there dictating terms. And that's why I discussed a lot last week as we considered, all right, the Bills are playing Miami, a unique offense. How do they adjust their defense to be able to measure up against this offense and limit it? And people were presenting a lot of very aggressive, creative ideas. And I, reading through these, especially in the subtext, a lot of good subtext conversations. Join it, by the way. There's a link in the show notes if you're interested. And going back and forth, texting with people. And I kept on coming back to, well, I mean, cool idea, but you got to be who you are on defense, right? You're committed to a fundamental philosophy, a core principle of what you're going to be defensively. And you can't just reinvent that for one week. You have to be true to what you are. 
and what you've built and what your talent offers you. And I, I really respect the way that Sean McDermott leaned into that for this Miami game. And so I think you just have a, a defense that is hunting, right? They're not catching anybody. They're not playing back. They're not playing on their heels. They are hunting the football. You get 11 dudes on the field that are willing to do that and play with great effort, you're going to have a chance. And I really like the makeup of this defense, both from a coaching and talent perspective. It looks really, really good to start the year. Next one here comes from Justin. Justin says, so far through four games, I'd like to get your insight on the snap count breakdown. Is there anything on offense or defense that surprises you so far? Anything that confirms a suspicion that you had heading into the season? I went through the snap counts. Obviously, I do that every week on the All-22 review, but also to prepare to answer this question. And I, I found four things that I thought were interesting enough to mention in terms of the snap counts to this point. Number one is that Oliver playing 67% of the defensive snaps, and honestly, that could be higher if the Bills weren't blowing teams out and late in the game, you know, he's not needing to play. And that's a pretty big jump. His previous high in percentage of snaps played was last year at 60%. And his previous years were below 60%. So 67% now, and you feel like if the Bills were playing competitive games, he's going to play more into the fourth quarter. And so I love seeing that volume there for Ed Oliver. He's playing well. I think it's worth mentioning Puda Ford. Twice has been a healthy scratch this year. And it's not like Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips are playing great. They've been pretty ordinary, and they're both getting 30% of the snaps each. Over 30% of the snaps each. And so I think maybe it comes down to some of the opponents the Bills have faced, wide zone rushing offenses. He's a space-eating nose tackle that's going to live in the A-gaps. You want the movement skills that a Settle or a Phillips offers. And so I think that's what it comes down to. But, you know, I, I was pretty excited about his you know, him being part of this team, and there just hasn't really been a meaningful role for him to this point. I still think he can play. Everything I've said about him, I've meant. Um, but it's a little bit of a surprise that he's had such a small impact. Uh, Quentin Morris is still getting 20% of the offensive snaps. That's pretty cool, right? We've enjoyed Quentin Morris's development, making the team. And then, of course, they draft Dalton Kincaid to go with Dawson Knox, and you start to think, well, is Quentin Morris really going to have a role? Now, I don't expect him to catch a lot of passes or anything like that, but he's still on the field for 20% of the offensive snaps, playing all the special teams, and um, you need that tight end three. If you're going to be a 12 personnel, two tight end, heavy offense, you got to have three that can play, and uh, credit to the Bills are getting Quentin Morris involved. And the last thing that I'll mention is James Cook, 56% of the snaps. Not that 56% of the snaps is crazy high or anything like that, but he's still on pace for a lot of touches. Now, it's coming down. Uh, it was like 315, 320 on pace for in terms of touches. And right now, uh, he's on pace for 285. So it is incrementally coming down, which is more to my expectation. But I didn't think he was going to break 200 touches, much less pushing for 300. And I think maybe this will normalize around 220, 230, 240, something like that. But I still think there's been a lot more volume to James Cook to this point than I anticipated. I'm happy about it. I like the way James Cook is playing, but when you consider things that surprise me, I would say that much volume for James Cook is something that uh, surely stands out. I got plenty of good stuff to get to here in just a moment, including some conversation on the safeties, Dalton Kincaid. That's all coming up next, but first need to tell you about eBay Motors. 
Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. So whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Bengals running back Joe Mixon is off to a slow start with the rest of the team's offense as Joe Burrow battles through his calf injury. With the receiving cores shorthanded minus T. Higgins and Cincinnati in desperate need of a road victory at Arizona, look for them to focus on winning with the rushing attack and defense. The Cardinals have allowed some ample production on the ground. Look for Dixon to get 80-plus yards and a touchdown. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome back. The next one here comes from Brian. Brian says, Joe, we are a quarter of the way through the season, and Dalton Kincaid is currently third on the Bills in targets and second in receptions, but his yards per catch is quite bad, 6.6 yards per catch. Does it surprise you to see his relative volume so high this early in the year and what do you make of the low yardage production? I'm going to answer this question and talk about a lot of things that aren't Dalton Kincaid, but things that I think impact this question. This offense is incorporating a lot of new things this year. A lot. Two new starting offensive linemen, one of them being a rookie. You have a new lead running back in James Cook, plus completely new backups in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. You have two new wide receivers that play in Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield. You're incorporating a fundamental shift in being a two tight end offense. And then, oh, by the way, there's Dalton Kincaid. Your first round pick, and he's on the field 60% of the snaps. And so I just feel like there's just a lot of new with this offense that it's not just adding one thing to it. I mean, you're, you're you switched and changed and adjusted a lot of things here. And so I still think it's a matter of the Bills putting it all together. I know there's been OTAs and camp and preseason and all that. I get it. But this stuff takes time. And so what actually excites me is that Dalton Kincaid's on the field for over 60% of snaps. He is second on the team in catches. He's on pace for one of the top five seasons in the history of the NFL for a rookie tight end in terms of receptions at this point. And there's still a lot more in terms of how the Bills can unlock him. That excites me about how the offense can continue to grow and evolve during the season. And, I mean, that extends not only to Dalton Kincaid, but Latavius Murray and Damian Harris and Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield. And, you know, guys are going to get more comfortable, more chemistry, more timing. It's all going to grow and evolve together this year. And so I like the volume to this point, but, Establishing himself as more of a down-the-field guy is what I certainly would love to see. I know this receiving skill set that he has. It's There's more to him than you know these very short throws and asking him to turn and run, and that's been really good, but there's more. 
I mean, it seems like, honestly, when you think about down-the-field targets in this offense, it's Gabe, Steph, or nobody, right? I mean, Shakir got one shot against Miami. Who else is getting opportunities down the field? It's Gabe or Steph, and that's it. So there's more. There's a lot more to unlock, and I'm excited about the success that has already happened, plus the trajectory of where it can go, being mindful of how many new layers to this operation are being incorporated. Vin says, could people just stop talking about the need to possibly replace Micah Hyde after the season due to his age? The man just balls. Fair enough, Vin. I mean, Micah Hyde's off to a terrific start. Two interceptions. He's tackling extremely well. He's playing fast. Now, he turns 33 in December, but I'd agree with you. He can still ball. Now, what's interesting about Micah is his contract does expire after the season, so the Bills are going to have to make a decision here. But could you really see Micah Hyde just going and playing somewhere else? If he wants to continue playing football, I'm sure there's a spot for him on the Buffalo Bills until he's done. But my goodness, awesome having him back. You can feel the impact. He's playing well. Very satisfied with him. And, you know, I mean, even there might even still be some rust that he's still shaking off in another higher level of performance that he can achieve. But he's played really, really well through four games. Will says, I want to start this question by saying I love Jordan Poyer being on the team as a leader. He has a long track record of playing hurt, doing what he has to do to be at games, inspiring teammates. And most recently, I saw he took the cart off with Trey White to be there for support. Just again, being a great leader. That being said, I haven't loved his play this year. My question is, can you compare Taylor Rapp and how he held up against Miami to how Poyer has played over the first three games? Obviously, the D looked good as a whole, but curious on the comparison. Yeah, I'd agree with you on Jordan Poyer. I don't think he's played well in the three games that he was active for. The first two games I would actually label as a disaster. Just did not play well at all. Better against Washington, and then, of course, he missed last week against Miami. As for Taylor Rapp, I mean, I don't know with Taylor Rapp. That's that's what I want to say at this point. Uh, They tried to incorporate him into the defense against the Jets, and it was an absolute disaster. They played him closer to the box. He could not play through traffic and just wasn't, wasn't sturdy enough to be in that type of role. And of course he played all the snaps against Miami and a lot of deeper alignments. I thought when he played as a low safety, he had some struggles kind of playing through traffic. Once again, he's a good open field tackler. He does well to stay leveraged in deeper alignments, but I need to see more from him too. Like I'm not, I'm not fawning over Taylor Rapp right now based on what I've seen through four games. I liked him a lot at camp. I like some of the preseason stuff. But I'm not ready to say Taylor Rapp is the future at safety for the Bills. And I I think I've become more aware of his limitations as a low safety, as a guy who I don't know really profiles well to -to man-to-man coverage looks in the slot. I've come away with a, a few more questions than I have, you know, feeling secure in his projection long term, to be honest with you. So. I'm excited to get Poyer back. I think he can play better. I certainly do. Um, And Taylor Rapp has been okay, but nothing that inspires me to say, man, I think the Bills got something here and he can be a long-term player. Maybe that'll that'll change throughout the course of the season, but um, I need to see more from both guys. And I'm hopeful that Jordan Poyer can get back out there soon. Next one here comes from Bub. Uh, Bub says, is AJ Epinesa going to be a Bill next year after this promising start to the season? or?" Will he work his way out of a job in Buffalo to get a bag of money somewhere else? Well, I'm I'm just happy that we're having this conversation, right? Because a couple of years ago, 
I mean, the whole world was writing off AJ Epinesa. Eric Washington can't develop anybody. And over the last two seasons, he's certainly taken a, a major steps forward. And now we're thinking, well, should the Bills keep him? Right. I mean, if two years ago I would have said that on this podcast, I mean, it would have been an ugly conversation uh, in terms of how a lot of people would have responded. So, first of all, can we acknowledge that there's been good development here? And, you know, throughout the the Bills and their tenure with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, there's been a lot of guys that people wrote off. And then year three, it starts happening, right? So can we can we learn something here? Can we apply that to the way we talk about players, please? Anyways, I like the development for AJ Epinesa, but he might be tough to keep. So some things that come to mind when considering this. What are his priorities? What, what is he seeking? The two contracts that stand out to me from last offseason that I think are somewhat comparable players. Anthony Nelson. He signed two years, 10 million. Charles Amenahue signed two years, 16 million. I think he's probably in that five, I don't know, in the low end four, four to $8 million a year type player. What are his priorities? Like if he's, if he looks at this as, Hey, I'm 24 years old. I, I need to, I need to get paid. He wants to get as much money as possible. Go, go ahead. You can go do the, the Tremaine Edmonds, go play for the bears get a bunch of money and be in a disaster of a situation. Like that's totally possible. Wouldn't root for that for AJ, but what are his priorities? Right. And then from the bills, like how important will he be to bring back right now at defensive end? You have Greg Rousseau signed, obviously Von Miller is signed beyond this year, but then that's it. I mean, Epinesa, Shaq Lawson, Leonard Floyd, all free agents. And so what are his priorities? What are your priorities? But you know, I don't think this is a minimum type contract. I think on the very, very low end, it's $4 million a season and, you know, pretend, potentially up to $8 million a season like Charles Amenehu you got. So I think that's the range. It just comes down to what his priorities are. And then from the Bills side of things, how are you going to shape this defensive end room next year around Greg Rousseau and, and, and Von Miller? And you certainly like the development of A.J. Epinesa, but can you keep him? I guess we will find out. All right, plenty of good stuff left to get to here in just a moment. But first, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Like you know what you should do, you you know what's good for you, but you just can't do it? Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. And then if you need to switch therapists at any time, you can do so for no additional charge. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOn. All right, folks. The next one here comes from Justin. Justin says, do you see any in-season extensions coming Daquan Jones needs a new deal, surely. I'd love a Daquan Jones extension. Would love it. I mean, that guy's playing so good. And I know he loves Buffalo, right? Kind of a local guy. Grew up rooting for the Bills. I don't think he wants to go anywhere. He's 31 years old. He turns 32 next year. He's got more in him. Defensive tackles can play into their mid to late 30s. I think he's playing the best football of his career. And you've heard him speak pretty openly recently about the style of defense that the Bills play 
as an, an attack-oriented penetration-style defense compared to what he ran in Tennessee and Carolina where he was a two-gapping nose tackle. The guy's having fun. And so I'd love to get him back for longer. And if you don't, you got a, you got a problem there at, at nose tackle next to Ed Oliver. And so it's kind of interesting. You look at what we just talked about at defensive end where outside of Rousseau and Miller, nobody's, nobody's under contract beyond this year. At defensive tackle, it's Ed Oliver and then everybody's up, right? Settle, Jones, Phillips, Puna Ford. So you have decisions to make. You're going to have to figure out how to bring guys back or retool in some ways. Daquan Jones' last deal with the Bills was two years, $14 million. Does he want another one of those? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the valuation is. I mean, right now he's having a career year. And so I don't I don't know that you can really leverage, well, you're an aging player, you get less. Well, he's an aging player, but he's playing his best football. And he's been the consummate pro throughout his career. He's very durable. He's got a lot of leverage on his side of things. But I know he wants to be in Buffalo. It seems like the Bills should really love him too and uh, would love to see that happen soon. Kyle says, do you think the Dolphins were playing the run intentionally to try and get the bad Josh to come to light. I feel like they were trying to get them in second and long based on Dorsey's what feels like reputation to run on first down, and it opened up the easy windows, and Josh took it. If so, I'm glad to see that they didn't go away from the run. But do you think there was part of the Finns' game plan, and it ultimately backfired? I think Miami's in a big adjustment defensively to a new scheme under Vic Fangio. And they're missing some really important players to run it. Uh, against the Bills, obviously, they didn't, don't have Jalen Ramsey yet. They didn't have a starting safety in, in Deshaun Elliott. And so now all of a sudden, you're playing Brandon Jones, who's coming off of an ACL tear that's played 18 snaps going into the game. Justin Bethel's playing in the slot. And, I mean, he's a career special teamer. And those guys were rough. And all of a sudden, now you're playing Cater Kohu outside, and he's a slot player. He's got a bunch of guys out of position. You're missing key players in the secondary. Jalen Phillips was injured. He's their best pass rusher. And so I don't think that they had what was necessary to execute their desired scheme and game plan as intended. I'm not making excuse for excuses for Miami talking about the variables that went into, you know, what's plagued this Dolphins defense to start the year and what you saw against the bills. And so I do think that there is truth to the idea that other teams are playing Josh in a style that is designed to hope Josh Allen makes mistakes. Because Josh Allen's got to be really tough to defend, right? He breaks all the rules. You can think you're in the right thing and you're not because Josh has the physical ability to play above X's and O's, and it doesn't matter what you run, he can make plays. And so I do think that teams say to themselves, well, he's going to make plays, but we know that he's mistake prone, and how do we put him in positions where he has a higher likelihood to make a mistake? And I think that is a lot of what teams try to do fundamentally against the Bills and Josh Allen. Justin says, uh, excuse me, Chris says, several times this season, when you've discussed Terrell Bernard and his role in coverage, you mentioned how he carried the receivers. Can you explain what you mean by carrying the receiver so I can better understand what in particular he's doing? Also, could you tell me what or how Bernard is similar and or different to Tremaine Edmonds and the way they carry receivers in coverage in the defense? It's a good question here from Chris. So what I mean by a player or any player in this instance, Terrell Bernard carrying a receiver 
is that they are assigned to a player and they can turn and run with a receiver into space and stay connected to him. So you're not passing him off. You are covering this player and you have the ability to turn and run and stay connected or stay in phase with them. You can match their steps. And so that's what I mean by carrying a receiver. And the Bills do give Terrell Bernard and some players man coverage assignments where you would need to carry the receiver and pattern match throughout the entire down. But the Bills also do a fair amount of zone match. So you're responsible for a zone, but then when a player comes into your zone, now you have to match. Like you are now in man coverage. And so being able to do that is key. And where Terrell Bernard is very different than Tremaine Edmonds is that Tremaine Edmonds' coverage range really came from his ability to backpedal, his ability to get depth, his size, his length in the middle of the field, right? That's where he was an asset. He's not the type of guy, because if he has a gangly frame, right, high-hipped, his ability to transition, to flip his hips, to turn and run with a player to carry a route, it's difficult because he's not as quick to transition and he's got a gangly frame. So being able to transition and have speed out of that to stay in phase and stay connected, it's difficult for him to carry receivers. And this is exactly what the Bills were communicating to us when they said, look, we want two matchup linebackers. We like Tremaine, but there's limitations and some matchup problems because of that. And so Terrell Bernard, just a more fluid athlete that can turn and run, has quick more quickness. But where I didn't anticipate Terrell Bernard being so good that he's been really good is in zone coverage. No, he doesn't have the same size and ability to influence throws in the middle of the field because of his length, right, and his stature. But his feel for what's happening behind him while simultaneously reading the backfield, staying over top of routes and, and taking routes out the menu, like he does it in a different way but it's it's probably more effective. Could not be more satisfied right now with what we're seeing from Terrell Bernard and stark differences in, in how those two players win. And for the style of defense the Bills want to run under McDermott, Bernard's the better fit, and he's a whole lot cheaper. John says, just want to let you know that the All-22 weekly segment this season is excellent, extremely informative, and my favorite episode of the week. Going off that, what player, either offensively or defensively, have you gained a new appreciation for now that you study the tape even more intensely? Defensively, obviously, it's Terrell Bernard, right? That's the guy. But I also, I think Matt Milano is, is a guy that, as I've, I've always watched the tape, right? Me watching all 22 tape is not a new thing. That's always been a part of my process. But I never did it in through the lens of, hey, I want to come back to you guys and tell you my big observations, and a lot of that being schematic, right? I'm watching the All-22 in the past, and I'm just looking for player performance. Did they play well or not? Now there's a lot more to it. I'm looking at it through a deeper lens. And so watching Matt Milano and being aware of how Sean McDermott is us- utilizing him within the defense as a chess piece, I've gained such an appreciation. I mean, what he was doing to cap Waddle and Hill uh, against Miami, that's stuff that linebackers don't do. I mean, he's playing at a high level, and he's very important to this defense. Offensively, I might say it's Deion Dawkins. And and folks, there's some really silly talk about Deion Dawkins going into the season. Silly talk. Guy has a, a obvious resume in the NFL. And he's playing, I think he's playing his best football of his career right now. Being able to watch him, and we talked a lot about these protection schemes and how a lot of it's designed to help Spencer Brown. Well, that's possible because Deion Dawkins is locking down the blind side. Guy's playing good football, and I'm really enjoying his run blocking as well. 
but more than players, right? More than players. I've gained an appreciation for Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey. Seeing the game plans that they're putting together, how they're deploying players, the creativity, it's good on both sides of the ball. Bills have good coordinators. Bills have good coordinators. And if you watch the tape and you understand football, you know that. Next one here comes from just, uh, Justin. Uh, do you see a lot of similarities between Tua Tungvalu and Brock Purdy? Obviously, the offenses are from the same coaching style tree, so this might be an easy question. But I'd like to peek ahead to the possibility of seeing San Fran in February. Do you think the Bills would play the 49ers similarly to the way they played Miami last week? Yeah, a lot of similarities in the style of offense. I think um, there's uh, an accelerated level to what Miami does with their motion and their speed, right? San Fran has all kinds of problems they present with, I think, uh, better skill players. I mean, I don't know if they have better skill players. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, that's pretty friggin' good. I know Miami's got some good stuff going as well, but that might be a deeper group. Uh, But as far as Tua and Brock Purdy, I mean, I think Tua just has a lot more talent, a lot more physical talent. I know that neither one of them has cannon arms, but Tua has better accuracy. I think he's a very accurate quarterback. Got a really quick release, his ability to get that ball out smooth and efficiently is, is really good. I think Tua's footwork is outstanding. I think he's a really, really good ball handler. Um, so I, I can appreciate those things about Tua, and I don't really feel the same way about Brock Purdy. I'll be completely honest with you. Brock Purdy's a hard player for me to figure out because I watched him at Iowa State for many years, and he was a marginal quarterback. All right, there's a reason he was the last pick in the draft. It wasn't because he was brimming with talent. All right, he was a marginable player at Iowa State, and it's hard for me to – reconcile how much Kyle Shanahan and that offensive scheme and those players around him have elevated him. All right. It, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm, I mean, I know he's, what is he 12 and 0? He started 12 regular season games and the 49ers have won every single one of them, but he's still hard for me because even when you watch him play, I know that the results are good, but sometimes it just looks kind of hard for him. And he's he just throws the ball and he's praying that it goes somewhere good. I, I, I struggle with Purdy and I, I recognize the results. The process is weird to me, and I feel like I feel like it's it's hard for me to admit. Maybe the word I'm looking for that he's able to execute like this and sustain it, given I think his own limitations and how much I think everything around him boosts him. So they're really different to me. But you can't argue with the results. You can't. You can't. So that's why he's hard for me. And so I'll, I'll be candid with you. I don't have it all figured out when it comes to Brock Purdy. Um, so be interesting to see. I'll sign me up for a Bills Niners Super Bowl in February. Obviously, Chris Berman would love that. It'd be fun to see us play. We get the Bills get a chance to play the Cowboys and the Eagles this year. And so I, I mean, I'd be surprised if if the NFC representative for the Super Bowl wasn't one of the 49ers, Cowboys, or Eagles, I, I think I'd be really surprised. Seattle? Detroit? I don't know. Nobody from the NFC South, right? Those teams are pretty bad. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of think about some of those matchups. But one game at a time. One game at a time. And the next one is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we're going to spend a lot of time the rest of the week getting ready for that. We got crossover Thursday, my full primer. My final thoughts might have a bonus episode for you again this week. So keep your head on a swivel might have some, some extra stuff I want to get into. So uh, just be aware for the possibilities that you're going to get more content and hopefully you're okay with that. I got a lot to say about this team. What can I say? This is what we do. We talk about the bills. 
Got a lot to say, and there's some stuff I would love to do this week if I can find some time for it. All right, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Leave a comment on YouTube. Tell a friend. Share it on social media. All of that is so, so helpful. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.